I want to ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 22. And for those joining at home, we wish that you were here. But since you're not, I wish you would take your Bible, open it up to Revelation, chapter number 22, and you just follow along right there uh, from your home. And you're just as much a part of this service today than, if, than you would be if you were right here in the room with us. Now, here we are just a few days before Christmas And so logically, you would think today that I would be talking about Gabriel or Mary or Joseph or Bethlehem or uh, the shepherds or maybe even the wise men, but no, we're thinking about heaven this morning. We're continuing our study on heaven as we come to the very end of the book of Revelation. And again this week, as I was thinking about Christmas, candlelight service, talking about heaven, is it an appropriate topic? Well, in fact, it is an appropriate topic because remember this, Jesus came to earth so that one day we could go to heaven. Jesus was born in Bethlehem so that we could be born again. And so how can you think about Christmas without thinking about the whole package, the whole reason why Jesus came? And not only that, Another thing that I'm learning as we're studying about heaven on these Sunday mornings is that the more we think about heaven, the clearer our perspective is of life. The verse, one of the verses that I've quoted in this study is in Colossians chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3 in verse 2, the Bible says, set your mind on things above. Let's say that together. Set your mind on things above. It's interesting, the verse before that says this. Seek those things which are above, now watch, where Christ is. And so as we think about Jesus, we should naturally think about heaven because that's where Jesus is right now. Now, I know that for those of us who are saved, Jesus is living in our hearts. If I say to you today, where's Jesus? You could rightly say he's living in my heart, and he is in the person of the Holy Spirit. But remember this, in his resurrected body, Jesus Christ is currently in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so how can we think about Jesus without thinking about heaven? And so really, I think it's an appropriate topic. Now, in the previous weeks, we've thought about a lot of different aspects of heaven. We've talked about the enormity of heaven. Put the map on the screen a few weeks ago to show that heaven is approximately 1,380 miles long, 1,380 miles wide or deep, and 1,380 miles high. It is built like a square. It is a huge, huge city. We've also learned about the huge wall that surrounds heaven and the 12 gates that provide entrance into the celestial city. We also saw that there's an angel at each gate so that one day when we die or when Christ comes first in the rapture and we go into heaven, we will walk through one of those gates and we will be greeted by an angel. We've talked about the brightness of heaven. There's no sun, but there's brightness because the Lamb of God, Jesus, illuminates that city. So we've talked a lot about what heaven looks like and and those type things, but today I want us to take it one step further and answer or ask and try to answer this question, what will we do in heaven? It's interesting here at First Baptist, in an average year, 35 of our members die and go to heaven. 
But this year, we've already had 50 of our members who have died, and 50 of them have gone to heaven. The question is, what are they doing up there? Last week, as my dad mentioned, we had three funerals here at the church for three wonderful Christians. The question is not, are they in heaven? We know they're in heaven, but what are they doing right now in heaven? And the next question is, what are we going to do when we get there? Now, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5 answers that question. And it tells us many things that we will do when we get to heaven. In fact, it tells us so many things that I'm going to have to spend two weeks uh, trying to answer that question. We'll complete that hopefully next Sunday morning. But today what I would like to do is read the text, verses 1 through 5, and then I want us to zero in, in on verse number 4, and I want us to see today two things that we will do when we get to heaven. Revelation 22, verse number 1. Now remember, John is having a guided tour of heaven. An angel is walking him up and down the streets of heaven and showing him all the sights. And now John is writing about it. And he says, And he, that is this angel, showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Notice that God himself is the source of this river. And we'll talk more about that next week. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. Now, we read about the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, and we'll pick that up next week. But notice it says, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. We'll talk about that next week. The earth we're living on now has been cursed because of sin. That's why there are earthquakes. There wouldn't be earthquakes. Uh, there wouldn't be any fault lines had it not been for sin. But in heaven, the curse will be removed. And it says, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. Next week, we'll think about how will we serve God in heaven. But now look at verse 4. They shall see His face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so these five verses are loaded with information answering the question, what will we do when we get to heaven? But again, verse 4 is our verse for this morning. And notice what it says. John said, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. What will we do when we get to heaven? The first thing I want you to see today is this. We will see the face of Jesus. That is the best thing that will happen when we get to heaven. Throughout eternity, we will get to see the face of Jesus. I want to say this to you right at the front, of, at the beginning of this message. If you are saved, if you have ever been forgiven of your sins and truly received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a day in your future when you will see Jesus Christ face to face, eye to eye, person to person. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And I don't know if you ever think about that, but I do. 
I think about what it will be like one day when I stand face to face with Jesus, my eyes locked on his and his eyes locked on mine. And for the first time in my existence, I will see face to face the one I have known heart to heart, and so will you. As it is today, we can't see Jesus. I, I, say, I said at the funerals that I spoke at last week, I said, your loved one, your mother, your father is having an experience right now that none of us have had yet, and that is with their eyes they are able to see Jesus Christ. Now, we're in the presence of God. When I woke up this morning, I knew I was in the presence of God. I'm standing here right now. If I didn't think I was in the presence of God, I'd stay in my office. I know full well I'm in the presence. I know by his word that I am in his presence, but I take that by faith. I can't see him. I can't look down in my heart and see the Holy Spirit, but I know that he is there. We walk by faith. You see, in heaven, we'll see Jesus face to face, but on earth, we should be able to see Jesus in other ways. Let me give you a scripture verse. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27, the Bible says, speaking of Moses. Now, Moses is the one who led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage through the wilderness, headed towards the promised land. He didn't make it, died before they got there. But Moses had to listen to all the complaining, all the griping. They were blaming him for all their troubles. You talk about a tough job. About two million people he's trying to lead through the wilderness for 40 years. And Hebrews eleven twenty seven 27 says this, Moses endured by seeing him who is invisible. Now, how do you see somebody who's invisible? If they're invisible, you can't see them. You can't see them with your eyes. You can see them with your eyes of faith. And so, many things, when it comes to God, we, many times we see God by faith. We walk by faith, the Bible says, and not by sight. So, for now, we see Jesus by faith. I take it by faith that he is in my heart. I take it by faith that he is standing by me as I preach. I take it by faith that his spirit is taking the words that I'm speaking and that he is applying them to your heart. Can't see any of that happening, but I take it all by faith. I'll tell you another way we see God. We see God in nature. We really do. If you know the Bible or even are vaguely familiar with the Bible and you pay attention to nature, you know that in nature God preaches some of his greatest sermons. Yesterday was a cloudy, rainy day. Did you know yesterday, you may not have thought about it. I may not have thought about it, but it was nonetheless true. On that cloudy, rainy day, God was speaking to us through nature. Through those clouds, you know what God was saying? God was saying, I'm nearer to you than you can imagine. I understand what you're going through better than you understand it yourself. I am right there, not only with you, but living on the inside of you. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3. The clouds are the dust of his feet. When you see a cloud, that's a reminder. It's just like God is passing by. And so it reminds us of God's presence. What does the rain remind us of? The rain reminds us of God's provision, just like God sends water on the earth to water the earth, and so the grass can grow and the vegetation can grow. Well, that rain is a reminder to us that God will provide for us and that God will meet our every need. The rainbow, after a big storm, sometimes we see a rainbow. Did you know that rainbow is one of God's sermons? And through that rainbow, God is saying to us, just like I promised Noah that I would never flood the earth again, and I put that rainbow in the sky as a reminder, that rainbow is a reminder to you that every promise I've ever made in the Bible, I will keep that promise. I was reading the other night that a Bible student had spent a year and a half's time trying to count up all the promises of God in the Bible. You know, there are over 31,000 verses in the Bible. 
And this student was trying to figure out, of those 31,000 verses, how many, how many of those verses are promises from God? And he came up with a number 7,487. Now you think about that. Almost 25% of the uh, verses in the Bible are promises from God. And God is saying to us, I will keep every single promise that I have ever made. The butterflies are speaking to us. You see a butterfly flying around. I see butterflies all the time. And those butterflies are a reminder to us of the new life that we have in Christ. That's what a butterfly is. It's a new life. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things passed away. All things have become new. The birds remind us that God will meet our needs. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, consider the birds of the air, how your Father feeds them, and so on. And he said, are you not of more value to God than the birds? Sure you are. And so God's going to feed you. So what I'm saying is sometimes God speaks to us through nature. Sometimes God speaks to us through circumstances. We think about all the different ways that God speaks to us. Well, He speaks to us through circumstances. And you know one thing I've learned? If I'm living right, if I'm not perfectly, I'll never be perfect until I get to heaven, but if i am got my heart set in the right place and I'm trying to, to live a pure life, I've noticed this. I can see God more clearly than I could if I wasn't trying to do what was right by God. Let me give you another verse. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Jesus said in the Beatitudes, listen to this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That is, if you have a heart that is pure, that you're trying to do right by God, you're going to be able to see God. How? By your eyes of faith in your circumstances. Sometimes God opens a door. Sometimes God closes a door. And when that happens, what do we do? We see God in it. I'll give you the most recent experience that I had of this. Last Thursday, we had a funeral here at noon and a funeral at 4. And so between the funerals, I was back in my office doing some desk work and trying to get caught up on some emails. And I came across an email from a friend of our church, not a member of our church, but a friend of our church named Jimmy Logan. And when we started our little radio ministry a few years ago, and I say little because it's little, and it's just barely getting started. But when we started that, God brought him into our life, and he's helped us to you know, know what we're trying to know what we're doing and try to get connected with the right stations. And he had sent an email that said, hey, we have a great opportunity, or First Baptist has a great opportunity, to be on in Asheville, North Carolina, and in Augusta, Georgia, Monday through Friday, for $26 a day, which comes up to $130 a week, which comes up to $6,700 a year. And so when I, I looked at that and I was thinking, well, those are two good cities and maybe we have the money. I talking to my dad about that. I said, we need to check in the finance office and see how our, our little radio budget's doing. Could we maybe not buy both of those stations, but could we, buy, could we buy one of those stations? And so we checked, money to do that, and we decided to go on in Asheville, North Carolina. And so I, I called him back. I said, Jimmy, I just can't believe of this great price, and I said, what we would like to do, we can't do both of them maybe right now, but we'd like to go on in Asheville, North Carolina as quickly as possible, and I said, but can we still get that $26 a day if we just do one of the two cities? I thought the price might go up. He said, John, you misunderstood the email. He said, what I was trying to say in the email is, you get both of those cities for $26. You get to be in Asheville for $13 and in Augusta for $13. And as I saw that, and I knew that the money had been given and we, had, we were able to do that, I thought, that is God. That is God opening a door for us. And I'll tell you something that makes it even more amazing. Between services today, I mean like 45 minutes ago, 
I found out that the station we're on in Pittsburgh is an AM station, and they've just added an FM station to their network. And in Pittsburgh, they're letting us be on the FM station for absolutely no money whatsoever. I feel like we should tell those people in these cities, you get what you pay for, right? You're not paying anything. You're not getting much. But still, what I'm saying is it's an open door. It's an opportunity. And when I saw that the other day, it was like God spoke to me. And he said, John, going, because I was going to just dismiss all that and say, it's in a pandemic, it's not the time to try to expand that. Let's just kind of keep doing what we're doing. Here's what God said to me. That God said, anytime an opportunity like this comes across your desk, not, not, you may not need to always accept it, but prayerfully consider it before you immediately dismiss it. I say all that to say that's the most recent example I've had in my life of God speaking to me through a circumstance. But you've had similar things in your life. And then I'll tell you the main way God speaks to us today, not just through nature and circumstances, but God speaks to us through His Word. Every time you open your Bible, God is speaking to you. Augustine said it this way, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. I could stand up here today open my Bible to any passage I chose to open it, read the passage, thank you for coming, and dismiss the service, and I'll guarantee you, you would get something out of it just by having heard the Word of God being read. Because the Bible says, God said, my Word shall not return to me void. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And that's why I'm encouraging you every day to read your Bible. I'll give you the most recent illustration I've had on this. Oh, do you ever, have you ever, and I know, I know the answer is yes, but let me just ask the question anyway. Have you ever gotten in a reflective, somewhat melancholy mood where you're kind of thinking and wondering, God, why did you allow me to go through whatever it is you might be going through in, in life, hard times or something? Well, I, I, I've done that before. And, and on Thanksgiving Day, I was having lunch with my parents, and we were having a great lunch. And somewhere in the middle of that conversation, I think I was the one who brought it up, and I said, you know, there are some things that, that we've been through that I just don't understand why God would have let us go through it. And, and we were just talking about I mean, here we are at Thanksgiving lunch, and we're all trying to chime in our opinions on, on that. You know, the question is, why do bad things happen? And, of course, at the end of our genius insights on that, we had not figured it out, you know, why bad things happen. But it was an interesting conversation. Well, a few days later, I was home and thinking about the same thing. And one night, I was on the phone with a friend, and we were just kicking that idea around. I mean, have you ever asked this question? Let me just put it this. Have you ever said this to God with these words being emphasized? God, why would you allow me to go through this? Have you ever said that? Say amen. Have you ever said that? God, why would you allow me to go through this? Well, I was playing that. I thought, now, God, why? Would you have allowed me to go through this? And I was thinking about it, and I was talking to my friend, and they had some interesting insights, and I had some interesting insights. But at the end of that conversation, it was kind of like Thanksgiving lunch. We had not answered the question, why do bad things happen? So when the conversation ended, before I went to bed, I said, well, you know, I haven't read my Bible this evening. I had read that, but I wanted to read a few verses before I went to bed. So I got the little Bible reading plan that I'm working through right now, and I picked it up. And it said on this night, I was supposed to be reading a verse, just two or three verses, but the first of them was from Isaiah chapter 38. I'm going to give you this verse. You've got to write this down. It would be worth coming to church for. And for those of you joining us at home today, what I'm about to say is worth the whole service. Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. And I read the verse, and as soon as I got finished reading the verse, it was like the Holy Spirit of God spoke to me. And like God said to me, John, I was listening to that conversation y'all had on Thanksgiving Day, and you're trying to figure things out. 
And I was listening to you talk on your friend on the phone, and you're trying to figure, you know, some of this stuff out. He said, you know, I've been listening to that conversation, and it's very interesting. But what I want to do, I want to get in the conversation. And I want to answer the question. And I want to tell you, as your Father in God, the sovereign King of this universe, why I sometimes allow you and everybody else on earth to go through hard times. I read that verse that night, marked that verse. I got so excited I could barely go to sleep because I thought, God, you have answered this question for me. Isaiah 38, 17, here's what it says. I'm quoting it out of the New King James. And by the way, Hezekiah is the one who is speaking these words. If you're familiar with that Old Testament story, you know that Hezekiah was a king in Judah. And you know he became deathly sick. And the prophet Isaiah was sent by God to Hezekiah's house and said to this, Hezekiah, you better get your house in order because you're about to die. And when Hezekiah got that message, he threw himself on the mercy of God, and he said, God, please have mercy on me. Heal my body and extend my life. And miraculously, God answered that prayer, healed his body, and gave him 15 more years. And Hezekiah, one day in that 15-year extras that he had, was looking back on the whole experience. And here's what Hezekiah said. And when I read it, It spoke to me. He said, indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. And when I read that, it was just like God just quickened my heart. And it was like God said, that's the reason that I sometimes allow my children to go through hard times and bitter experiences. It's for your own peace. You say, John, I don't understand the connection. What is the connection between a hard time, a bitter experience, and peace? I'll tell you the connection. When you're going through a bitter experience in your life, whatever it may be, you have one of two options. You can either get mad at God, and you can say, thanks a lot, God. I thought you loved me. I thought you only had good things in store for me. And now you've let me lose my job. And now you've let me lose my health. And now this has happened in my life. Thanks a lot, God. And a lot of people do that, and they turn away from God, and they walk out the doors of the church, and they never come back. That's the wrong response. But there's some people who go through hard times. They say, God, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I wish I could mash a button and make it go away. But God, I do believe you're in control. And I choose, listen to this, I choose to trust you right now with this bitter experience in my life, knowing that you've got some purpose in mind. And friend, I'm telling you this, when you do that, that's the right decision. And when you say to God, God, I choose to trust you as a result of that faith, you're going to begin to have peace in your heart like you've never known. You may still have the bitter experience. You may still be in the hard time, but you're going to have peace. Indeed, it was for my own peace, Hezekiah said, that I had great bitterness. And that says to me, when we read the Bible, God, you better, when you open that book, you better have your head engaged, and you better be expecting God's going to say something. See, when you come to church on Sunday, when I come to church on Sunday, we shouldn't just, I mean, we should come just because it's the right thing to do, whether we feel like it or not. But when we walk through these doors and take our seat, or I come up here to preach or listen to my dad or somebody else preach, when the Word of God is being taught, we should be sitting there thinking, God, what are you saying to me today? Like, if I was listening to this sermon right now, if I were you listening to this sermon right now, from what I've said so far, I would be thinking, now, God, what are you saying to me through nature? What have I missed? God, what are you saying to me through my circumstances? This door that just seemed closed, I wanted to walk through that door. Now that door is providentially closed. What are you saying to me? God may be saying to you, I open doors that nobody can close, and I close doors that nobody can open. If I've closed the door, don't try to kick it in. Let it be closed. 
I'd be thinking that right now. And then on this thing about the Bible, I'd be thinking, God, what are you saying to me through what he's preaching today? What are you saying to me through Isaiah 38, 17? Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. And so what I'm saying to you now is we're on earth. We walk by faith, not by sight. We can't see Jesus now. We see him in nature. We see him in circumstances. We see him through the Bible. But there is coming a day when we will see Jesus Christ face to face, eye to eye, person to person. That day's in your future. Now, before I get off this point, when we leave today, out in the lobby, we've got five different Bible reading plans I encourage you to pick one of them up or go online and, or make up your own plan. But as the new year is only about 12 days away, and so I would encourage us as we go into 2021, have a Bible reading plan. Don't try to read the whole book of Leviticus in one day. Just read a little bit, maybe a verse. That, Isaiah, that was one verse I read. It, just, it almost just changed my whole perspective on some things. Well, but get a Bible reading plan. We also have back there the little booklets we made available four years ago. Some of you have them. Some of you are new to the church. Some of you might want a new copy. Hiding His Word in Our Heart, over 700 Bible verses in a 31-day devotional. You read about 25 of those a day for a month, and you've gone from Genesis to Revelation and some of the greatest verses in the Bible. We also have back there 31 timeless truths, a fresh thought for each day of the month. It's a thought. The first one is peace is a result of trusting God. About 10 verses about peace and trusting God. The next one is God is absolutely in control. 10 verses or so on that. I encourage you to pick those up today when you leave. And let God speak and learn to see God as you read through the Bible. So the question we're trying to answer is what are we going to do when we get to heaven? Well, I think I've said it three times. We are going to see Jesus Christ face to face. You ever think about what that's going to be like? I mean, I do. Sometimes I think about that, and I think about seeing Je- looking Jesus in the eyes. And you know what I pray happens for me in that moment? And I don't know. I hope it will happen. I think it might. I hope it will. I hope in that moment that when I'm looking at Jesus... And he's looking at me. A smile would come across his face. I mean, I think that would just be mean more to me than anything in the world. To think that Jesus one day could look at me and smile at me and say, welcome home, John. Let me ask you this question. Is Jesus smiling at you today? The way you're living your life, the way you're treating people, the attitude and so on. Right now, when Jesus looks, you can't see his face, but you know in your heart, is he smiling at you? I mean, he loves you whether you're doing good or bad, but if we're trying to do right by God, he's pleased with that, and he will smile at us, and there's coming a day when we will see his face. And a second thing we'll do in heaven, and I'm not going to spend as much time on this one, but a second thing that we'll do in heaven one day, we will wear his name right across our head. Look at the end of verse 4. Now, this is a great verse. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. Did you know that in heaven, you're going to have the name Jesus written right across your forehead? And so am I, Jesus. And that will be a reminder to us through all eternity that we belong to him. And that the only reason we're in heaven is because he has made it possible by dying on that cross, shedding his blood, paying for our sins, forgiving us of our sins, saving us, and taking us to heaven. So we will have his name written on our foreheads. It will be a public identification that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior and that we're in heaven for him. Think about that. In heaven, Jesus will publicly identify us as belonging to him. 
I mean, when he writes on our heads his name, what else could he do? He's saying, he is mine, she is mine, they belong to me. But think about this. On earth, we have an opportunity to do what? To publicly align ourselves with him. You see, when we get to heaven, we're going to wear his name for all eternity. But down here on earth, we're supposed to wear his name now. And we're supposed to publicly identify ourselves with Jesus.